The following podcast is a live recording of a radio show first broadcast by Fresh FM with assistance from New Zealand On Air. Fresh FM is a community access media station based in Te Tauihu, the top of the South Island, New Zealand. If you or your group would like to know more about how you can have a program on our station, please contact us. Visit our website freshfm.net for our contact details. Welcome to Voices from the Brook on Fresh FM, a fortnightly update from Nelson's unique eco-haven, the Brook Waimarama Sanctuary. Atamario from the studio here at Fresh FM and welcome to Voices from the Brook. I'm your host, Kirsten Rotsgaard. As many of our Facebook followers would have seen, we had a big fence breach last week thanks to high winds and a lot of rain. It was quite a big job to fix it, but our staff and volunteers did an amazing job. This week there's more weather issues and staff and volunteers are yet again on high alert. Here's Ranger Murray Neal explaining the exact procedures we follow when a fence breach occurs. The fence has a what we call the hot wire and that the drop in voltage on the hot wire will trigger a text message. It'll go to whoever's on call that week um, and that lucky person has to get up at whatever hour of day it is and go up there and their job is to assess what's happened. Um, in the pouring rain maybe and in the and, darkness? Yeah, in whatever conditions. Right. Um, and yeah, to, to assess what's happened. I mean, sometimes it's a false alarm, sometimes it's something you can deal with on the spot with your little saw and, and move along. Other times you have to call for reinforcements. Um, and if it is something big that you can't deal with on your own, um, your job then is to sit by the hole and guard it. Get the, get the reinforcements on the way and guard the hole, um, which we do by putting lights on it. We play the stereo and the ute nice and loud and anything to keep any predators away. Um, and just watch that hole, make sure nothing goes through. Um, once help arrives, it's usually um, you know, in the form of somebody with a chainsaw and a team that can, can either deploy a temporary fence or fix the fence. Um, we have temporary fences which are basically fancy tarpaulins which are rigged up to the fence in a way that's absolutely pest-proof um, and can be put up pretty quickly. So that's often a way to... Um, just secure the hole until we can mount a proper repair. Um, but generally we have it repaired within 24 hours um, if the weather's permitting and there's only one problem. <laughs> so yeah, that's usually how it goes. And um, of course then the biosecurity team are called to put in a response if necessary, which is um, a grid of traps around the, the breach um, to detect anything that might have slipped through. And that stays out there for, for I think, six weeks. Um, and checked twice a week initially and a little less as, the, as that time goes by. Um, and it doesn't come in until we're satisfied there's nothing there. And that's generally how it goes. As Murray explained, once a breach has occurred, we need to be extra vigilant when it comes to checking for potential predators. Here's our biologist, Robert Chardevingle. If you have a proper fence breach, usually we can get in rats, weasels, stoats, cats, all sorts of pest animals that potentially could have come in. So what we do, we have a biosecurity um, plan in place and that plan um, was designed for for um, defining exactly what is to do when a breach occurs. And what we do for a standard response, um, that is when there's a breach for rats and stoats and weasels, 
is we put up um, a response grid around the breach point. So that's usually a grid of um, four lines, 50, uh, 25 meters apart, um, that are built around that um, breach point. And that's a combination of traps and tracking tunnels. And additional to that, we activate um, lines in a radius of 350 meters around this breach point as well. So that's our existing monitoring lines. And we basically activate the, um, the, all the tracking tunnels on there and, and any traps that happen to be on there as well. Recently, we have had a number of breaches and luckily we haven't really had any predators come in. Yes, I mean, it is, it is a precautionary thing. So most of the time, you know, I'm talking about like, you know, a very high percentage, like 95% of the time, we respond, A, we respond quickly to any breaches. It's just very crucial. So obviously if you have a big breach and it's open for days and days, then there's very likely something got in. But we responded to it quickly. The last one, for example, we responded within 15 minutes of it. So the chance of something getting in is quite low. And so these response efforts we put in the sanctuary is just in case something got in. And it does happen. It happened to us before one or two times. We put a response out and we trapped a rat like a few days later. Bang, that's exactly why we're doing it for. Um, but yeah, most of the time it's likely that nothing got in, but we still have to do it just in case. Sam is one of the volunteers helping us check the responses. I've just been up and down one of the loops up around the top um, of the track where it's close to a breach of the fence, I think that happened about a week ago. Um, the breach was pretty brief. There was, uh, I think, only about four hours to eight hours before they got to uh, got the response in order. Um, so I've just been basically replacing some mouse tracking cards to check if there's any signs of any other rodents. And? And so far so good. Only mice. Right. And yes. being a volunteer at the sanctuary, what's in it for you? Um, experience really. Yeah, I'm doing a trainee dock ranger program at the moment. So yeah, learning from the ground level up how to, um, yeah, do things like track and trace pests and planting, plant identification, um, yeah, all that sort of stuff. The sanctuary relies heavily on the dedication and hard work of all our volunteers and we are forever grateful for everything they do at the sanctuary. And there is always something to do. Here's Doug and Tony. We're doing the track work but they, they, we're not allowed steps off the deck so we have to build the dirt up to the level of the deck. Wow. And it's all handmade. Yeah. This is for the, the workers. This is the tradesman's entrance from the tool shed or car park up here to get into here. Into keep, the back of the visitor centre building? Yes, to keep us away from the public. So it's a brand new track you're building? It's a new track and of course also because we don't want dirt inside, muddy boots. There's somewhere there's going to be a seat nearby the workers can take their boots off before they go inside. That top flat area here, we'll probably put, if we find more of these paving stones, so there's at least a flat area here before people go in. Because before, when it was too low, and if you had a final step here, the final step, people would step up and tall people were going to hit their head. They would hit their head on the roof, yes. So that's why we have to have it level 
so that people are not getting there and stepping up. Otherwise there's a sign going up there, hit your head here, and a little arrow. So you've, you've been a volunteer for a long time, Tony. Yes. Yeah? And Doug too. And Doug too, you both have, Doug and, and Tony. So what's in it for you? Why do you like coming here? Who well, said we I like it? Who said we like it? I think we're slightly, slightly um, <laughs> um, deranged or something. No, come on. <laughs> I, I, I looked for somewhere to go when I retired 13 years ago, something to keep me fit and active. And this, this seemed to be it. And the same for you, Tony? <laughs> what was that? You want to just stay fit in retirement? Is that why you're doing this? Oh, probably. But many years ago, a friend of mine who I used to go out, he was a Kiwi scientist. I used to go out in the bush with him. He had radio tag Kiwis and we caught them and everything. And one day, he said, this was up in the North Island, one day he said to me, my brother-in-law is starting a sanctuary in Nelson. Why don't you go and talk to him? So I went and saw Dave Butler and he said, no, we're going to have this sanctuary here and we're going to have all these wonderful things and we're going to have Kiwi. So I thought, good, I'm in. Hannah is part of the team of volunteer hosts welcoming our visitors to the sanctuary. I really enjoy volunteering at the Visitors Centre. It's, it's a great way to meet people and encourage a lot of the locals to come and explore the sanctuary and just see something new for a change. You've been with us for about a year. Why did you decide to come on board? I love giving back to the community and volunteering for a group that does things that I'm passionate about, like the conservation and the ecology side of things as well. I just think it's really important to keep the land here for our future generations. Yeah. I love seeing the birds and the growth um, of all the plants and, and the animals as well, the populations. Um, seeing it change throughout the seasons as well is really interesting. If you would like to get involved as a volunteer, please contact us through our website www.brooksanctuary.org.nz or come and see us at the Visitor Centre. We have over 10 different teams you can join. You may recall that the Brook Waimarama Sanctuary received over a hundred Kakariki Karaka orange-fronted parakeets between December last year and May this year. We've been monitoring the birds closely and here's volunteer Sean McGrath with an update. Some things I know, some things I speculate on, but I do know that we spent the early part of the year uh, watching nests um, and watched the pairs that we knew about um, successfully raise their nestlings. Um, we watched plenty of nests become fledged nests. Uh, we watched their babies become better flyers and turn up at the aviary and be fed by mum and dad. Uh, but since then we've seen plenty of other nests. I think I'm up to about six confirmed nests that we know have successfully fledged, but I know of at least seven more that we know about nests that we never found that have actually fledged. So we've seen usually dad uh, turn up at the aviary with babies and feed them and teach them how to fly and all of that. So we know that we've missed at least half of the nests in there. Um, and so the, oh, there's just a lot of unbanded birds there. Some, some days I've been watching the birds there and it's usually around 30 something percent of the birds I see 
we see could be unbanded. Which uh, implies that there are new ones. It doesn't imply it. It's proven beyond all doubt that they are definitely um, born and bred in the sanctuary. If they've got no colour bands, then they were, the only home they've ever known is, is the sanctuary. Which is fantastic news. I think it's absolutely fantastic news. Um, I'm ex- not the most optimistic person in the world much of the time, but I'm totally optimistic that about the about the Kakariki Karaka in the sanctuary, that they seem to love the place, and if in doubt they're having more babies than we think, and that there are more nesting couples than we know about. It's just wonderful. Yeah. Now, uh, Sean, the last two weeks you've been working on a, a special project, and you cannot reveal very much yet, but you've been looking at 92,000 photographs. Tell me more. Yes, I have. Um, I managed to break my ankle, and I was bored and wanted something to do. So the fe- some of the feeders in the sanctuary that are there for feeding sunflower, sunflower seeds to the kakariki have cameras associated with them and they detect movement and take photographs. Now, there was a bit of, we were a bit behind in the photo reading. 92,000 photos behind, in fact. So I've just gone through the whole lot and wow. I'm just beginning the assessment of the data yesterday. Um, so I can't, I'm not going to speculate on what it might no, say yet. It's but we will follow up on this once the data is um, confirmed and yes. you know what's going on. Absolutely. Um, yep, we'll definitely be follow up there. But it's good to have the data because uh, removes guesswork about what the, you know, what the birds might be doing. Um, and also the data can confirm some things that we suspected. Um, and they're always, the, the things we suspect are usually good and the data confirms it, usually. <laughs> now, Sean, you've been a volunteer here for quite a while, but I think the Kakariki project is probably one of your favourites. Uh, it's become my favourite by a mile. Um, for some reason, I've uh, just become completely addicted to these birds and um, I thoroughly look forward to getting up there as often as I can and I'm I've been haven't been up there for a month because of my broken ankle and I'm thoroughly looking forward to getting back but in the meantime I've just had that small matter of 92,000 photographs to look at. There are a number of other volunteers involved in the task of monitoring the Kakariki Karaka. Two of them are Nerali and Kevin. We enjoy being up in the Fit Sanctuary regularly and um, we love being part of a where we're hoping to save a flock of little orange-fronted parakeets that are not surviving in the wild down in Canterbury. And it's, it's sort of like leading-edge technology in a way, or leading-edge conservation. And the birds are beautiful. They're just gorgeous. And they grow up so quickly. You've got pink legs, and then suddenly you've got dark legs. You've got proud-looking little adults who are going to reproduce in less than six months which is extraordinary. It is remarkable, yeah. Now, you two have been up here a lot. How do you find time to come here this often? Ah, well, we are retired. (laughs) We try to manage our time so that we come once a week, but we've got other responsibilities in the sanctuary. So once a week, kakariki, but then when we have other duties, it's often more than once a week. Yeah. And Kevin, you, you do a lot of work together, you and Narely, uh, yes. so husband and yes. wife team. How does that work? Uh, very well. Um, we, we've long since learned how to cooperate with each other, so um, it, it's uh, very effective, yeah. And um, we enjoy having the opportunity to 
um, look after the kākāriki and, and monitor their uh, progress. Um, and we're really looking forward to next spring because uh, we think that there'll be a um, large increase in the population. Yeah, and the bigger the population, the more likely it is that our visitors will come into closer contact with the kākāriki, don't you think? Yes, they are fairly while up in the sanctuary at the moment, concentrated on a couple of valleys and ridges, but with more kakariki they, they will have to expand and spread, and that would be a really good thing, because they're so beautiful. Yeah. Sonzi stands for Sanctuaries of New Zealand Incorporated. It's an incorporated society with a management committee and its membership is open to individuals, sanctuaries and related organisations. Its purposes are to advocate for the sanctuaries movement in New Zealand. This week, Sonzi is hosting their annual conference here in Nelson and all the attendees are invited to enjoy a field day at the Brook Waimarama Sanctuary tomorrow, Thursday the 18th of August. Unfortunately, the weather forecast is not looking brilliant. In fact, it is extremely wet at the moment, which means we may have to alter the program for tomorrow's field day. We'll let you know how it all panned out in our next show, airing in two weeks. This is all we have time for today. I'm your host, Kirsten Rothschild, and on behalf of the Brook Waimarama Sanctuary, we thank you for tuning in to Voices from the Brook on Fresh FM. The podcast you just listened to was a live recording of a radio show, first broadcast on Fresh FM, the Top of the South's community access media station, with support from New Zealand On Air. The funding of Access Media makes these podcasts possible. To find similar programs by other community access media stations, go online to accessmedia.nz.